Okay, here we go. Nice and quiet. Sound speeds, camera rolling. Holding for sound. Last looks. Calling for last looks. And set and action. I need to swap batteries. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Purcell. I'm Liz Manischel. This week we have two special guests on the show, Hannah Black and Megan Peterson, who you may remember from being on our show way, way back on Timothy's very last episode of the show. We brought on um, three different sets of filmmakers, and Hannah and Megan were uh, one of those sets, and they had just finished shooting The Drought. I think it was like the day or two days after they had finished shooting their film that they came on the show, so it was like they were so fresh on it, and way way back then it was like two over two years ago i think we had talked about bringing them on the show and we finally got them on so i'm so excited to have them the movie is called drought and we were filming in um wilmington was named the wettest city in america that year they're talking about their film drought which you know has just come out into festivals i think it's going to be released soon um, but they won the Seed and Spark Hometown Heroes competition for the film. And they talk about the physical and emotional challenges they had while making their first feature. And, you know, it was really inspiring. I know that Liz and I had a blast talking to these guys. Yeah, I mean, I think that they went through, I mean, in addition to making like a micro budget film between friends and family in like their own local town, it was like, I think they went through like, a massive natural disaster, like emotional trauma. Like it was like worst case scenarios across the board. But then they, these amazing filmmakers have such a great attitude. And I think that's what's so fabulous about this interview. Yeah, absolutely. But before we get to Hannah and Megan, network. Listen to me. Television is not the truth. We'll tell you anything you want to hear. We lie like hell. Yeah. Well, yeah. So this week, major, major news coming from the Academy. They announced uh, new guidelines for diversity and inclusion. And, you know, these are not requirements until the year 2024, but I think they're really trying to encourage it for the next two years. And obviously, we have a lot of uh, stipulations upon eligibility for films because of COVID. Like, you know, they're not requiring theatrical in the same way they used to. There's all these different changes. So I think we're in a little bit of a we're in a changing pattern for the academy and but they're pointing to uh an evolution of an inclusion and um a lot of people receive this news in different ways i don't know what your community like or you and your community how they reacted i haven't talked to anybody about it i read them besides my wife and uh my my reaction was like like this seems pretty easy to pass but (laughs) you know like 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 probably all my movies except maybe my first short film i think everything else would pass this you know that i've ever made so i don't know if that just says that hey i'm i'm doing a good job or if if these are too easy i'm not i'm not sure i don't know but what what is your reaction to this well i was like trolling twitter when they announced as i often do and I thought that people gave really extreme reactions without reading the requirements first. So you only have to like hit half of these and they set them out into two different categories. And I think a lot of people were like, what about 1917? But what about period pieces? And there's all these thoughts. But then the Academy kind of covers those concerns with the inclusion mandates for behind the camera. So 
I agree. I think I think it's super easy to pass these. But my first, I have to admit, my first gut instinct was like, don't tell me what to do. Like, stop. To, like, <laughs> that was like the first thing I felt. I was like, no, like I'm going to make the movie the way I want to make the movie. I always try to hire and cast inclusively. Like, that's my new mandate. But you shouldn't tell me to do that. Like, and I got very <laughs> cranky about it that's, until that's I realized funny. that they weren't saying much. There wasn't much substance. Like if they're really trying to be more stringent, they could for sure do, do a better job. But I'm okay. I'm okay with not being told what to do even further. <laughs> I'm curious, like for 1917 example, like would that pass? It, it might, because I know that they have, uh, there's a woman who's a big part of the, sure, I think she either wrote it or she pro- was the lead producer on it. I can't remember. But I know that there was a lot of women behind the camera in the above the line. And then, you know, I'm sure like all the other like inclusion, um, you know, parts of it where it's like, yeah, if you have these these, these internship programs or you do these other things, it's like all these other things that are a part of this that if, if you qualify that you pass. So I think with all that shit, like and then like it, it even goes to executives, I believe it's like some sort of executive part of it where if like. Yeah, marketing and distribution, your, publicity. Yeah, it's like I think there's there's so many areas where a movie could could pass, and it doesn't all have to do with uh, inclusion on camera, you know. Because if it was inclusion on camera only, if or that had to be part of it, then you know, obviously, 1917 would fail. But they're they're not only looking at that; they're looking at a lot of different other things. So that's why I say it's too easy because I I I, I don't know. For sure, I know. Like, like I know, Green Book would pass, right? Like, that would definitely pass, like a hundred percent. And you know, I know that movie has some, some issues. Some issues. <laughs> yeah. So if Green Book would pass, I question how bad, good of a thing this is. Um, but I think overall, <laughs> it's good point. that they're trying, right? That they're trying to make a difference. You know, they're trying to improve things. I just think it's like a lot of li- like if you if you read everything. In the end, it kind of becomes a lot of lip service because, you know, movies could pass this. I think pretty much most movies could wouldn't have to do much to pass. I just keep on getting my soapbox of like, stop requiring certain things of films. I mean, whatever. It, uh, micro-budget films never get a chance to be really included in the Oscars except for something like Moonlight, which had like a massive marketing campaign and a, a very high-profile distributor behind it. But what I'm saying is like I'd much rather see like theatrical theatrical and publicity requirements be dissolved because there's a lot of diverse content creators who are just making lower budget content because they can't get financing. So it's like I'd rather support diversity at the ground level and from the bottom up bring smaller films into the eligibility requirements than this like circus and dog and pony show of like these you know these big films have to like pass through this giant hoop yeah so I've evolved on my opinion there from don't tell me what to do to why don't we change the whole system but uh I like when things get shaken up so things are shaken up a little bit yeah, I mean the theatrical thing and the and like I don't know I don't know if the the whole campaigning and money being behind the Oscars will ever change. Like I yeah. think that oh, seems never. to be like a thing that's just going to be the way it is. But maybe like the the requirements for movies that can be applied, like the theatrical thing, maybe that will 
after because this year it's gone anyways maybe it'll continue to be gone in future years i, I don't know just because everything's changing it's still changing like we don't know what the, the movie theaters experience is going to look like in a year from now we just don't know <sighs> but yeah but I'm, I'm curious like what does everyone else think about this like do, are they happy to see the academy trying to you know make some tap, steps towards inclusion or do you think that it's just a bunch of fucking lip service to make them look good like what do you guys think because um, cause I, I don't know I think it's good they're trying I just think it's too easy <laughs> it's just too easy you know they gave, they gave too many ways that you could wiggle out of it you know like as a studio or as a production company or as anything. And then the other thing I wanted to say is like, I've been pushing to try to do like, you know, as much inclusion, um, you know, on set as possible anyways. Like I'm trying to bring as many women on onto the sets as I can, you know, and trying to get to 50% women. I, I haven't yet. Like my last feature, I think we were like 45 or 40% women. And then on the alternate, I think we were probably like, maybe 35 40 or something we didn't do the best on that one but we did have a lot of uh women you know in, in as producers and things like that which was great but yeah i mean i'm 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 pushing in that direction you know and so i think this maybe helps everyone else push in that direction too who aren't already pushing in that direction you know so I don't know. I just think it's a good thing overall, even though it's got some issues. Well, I also wanted to talk a little bit about the player again, just a reminder to people that we had this segment called The Player where we let women, uh, women identifying storytellers speak from their own voices and answer prompts about um, the industry and working in the industry. And we have taken a pause on that segment. But if you are interested in bringing it back and if you enjoyed it, we also want to hear from you. So let us know. We should just be clear. Like the the reason why this this ended wasn't because we wanted it to end. It was because poor Liz had such a hard time finding people to talk on the show. So maybe it's that we have to go about it a different way. We, we talked about I don't know if we talked about this on on air, but like we talked about having mini interviews versus having people do pre recorded segments. So. If you would be more interested in coming on the show if we interviewed you rather than you had to record yourself, let us know and maybe we'll start doing that because, you know, I do like having different voices on the show and just like, you know, a variety of smaller segments rather than, you know, just one big interview. I think it's fun. So let's try to keep it alive. I just keep bringing it up because I do miss it. I, I like hearing just women speak unedited on a topic um and i want to and just like we're talking about we want to support diverse voices sure guess what liz what you've got mail Woohoo! my breath catches in my chest until i hear three little words you've got mail so we have yet another itunes review i mean i kind of feel super awesome like we've been getting a new itunes review every week thank you world and universe and everyone who's giving us itunes reviews it's like ah makes us feel very special you know and we we have another one i'm gonna read it now it's from it's from curtis low and it says i dig it five stars from september 5th i always thought liz and Alark were just being modest about the number of reviews and patreon supporters they receive hearing liz genuinely seem surprised happy that i was supposedly the first person they didn't personally know sign up as a patron patron i'm thinking maybe this show really has not gotten the love it deserves and i need to step up my game to turn some more folks onto it 
Oh, I've been listening for a while now, and I really love how the show has evolved and really enjoy the new format. I have dabbled creatively throughout my life, but always felt intimidated by filmmaking. When I was younger, I thought I just didn't have the money, gear, connections, or zip code to make it happen. That later morphed into thinking I was just too old to get started. Listening to Liz Ulrich and their amazing guests share their stories made me realize that there's no right way or path to making films, that making movies is hard, but worth it, regardless of your experience, background, or age, and you're only limited by your passion and perseverance. I've been inspired to once again stoke my creative fire and begin writing and shooting again. If you are an indie filmmaker or just love listening to creative folks talk about what inspires them to create, check out this podcast. Oh, and if you're able, toss them a buck or two on Patreon, too. Wow, Curtis! Thank you, man. This is amazing. What an amazing, I know, like what a truly kind review. We put two and two together and we realized that this is Curtis Ratliff who did up his Patreon pledge. And so we're going to send him a pin or two designed by the amazing Lucas Culshaw and just thank him uh, infinitely. Yes, thank you, Curtis. And I mean, it's interesting because like the show has been growing and the show does get a lot of love. But I mean... We're definitely not at the level we could be, you know, with with less support. You know, we have like, I think, nine patrons, maybe 10 or something. And, uh, you know, I don't even want to say what our good buddies over at Just Shoot It have as far as Patreon support. But you'll see if you look at both pages, there's a big difference. So we could use more supporters. We could use more love. We could use more... People, you know, getting on um, soapboxes and talking about how much they love the show. So if you are a fan of the show and you haven't given a review or you haven't, you know, put up a dollar on on Patreon or whatever, uh, we would really appreciate it. You know, Um, obviously money is tight now, so the review would mean more than anything, really, because that gives us more visibility. So, yeah. So, you know. We're, we're not like, you know, whatever, destitute podcast over here, but yeah, we could use some love. So uh, thanks, Curtis, for getting on that soapbox and, and telling the world. So if you want to be like Curtis, you can uh, send us a question, comment, or suggestion to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. Or if you do like the show as much as Curtis does, you can leave us a review on iTunes or any of the other places you can leave reviews for podcasts. Also, we have a Patreon page, as we just said. So if you really love the show and you want to support us, go over to www.patreon.com slash podcast and give us a dollar, five dollars, or nine dollars for one of the, the awesome uh, pins that we have. And lastly, jump over to our Instagram and click on our bio to go over to our brand new YouTube page, where if you're there now, you'll be watching us talk about this stuff. Um, we've already hit over 100 subscribers, so we hit our goal. But, I mean, I really feel like the YouTube might be a way to really expand our audience and reach some new people. So you should give it some love, and maybe we'll find some new listeners who are watching us on YouTube for the very first time, and then they can find out what about what the show is. But, Liz, I think it's time to, to, to get shorty. So you make movies, huh? I produce feature motion pictures. I got an idea for a movie. So... This week on Get Shorty, oh my goodness. So, you know, we, we've been getting um, movies sent in. It's been great. But then this last uh, couple weeks, I decided to, like, kind of branch out and just, like, look on the internet and see what kind of shorts people are making and what what's being released. And I stumbled across this short film called Slice of Life, which was just released on this new YouTube channel called Weave TV. Weave TV, maybe? Liz is making faces like I'm saying it wrong. I think it's... Weavy. I would think it's Weavy because it has those like lines yeah. over the vowels. So I heard about Weavy TV first because they actually approached me and my co-director Marcella about our film Parka 
and they wanted to put it on the channel and uh, uh, Marcella was really cautious and I researched them a little bit and they have a really awesome reel of all the short films they have so far and they have some really top talent in these short films which was really cool I think um, Patton Oswalt is in one and there's a couple other uh, famous people in some of these shorts and so I was like oh man maybe we should be a part of this and then you know I I've, I you know, was researching sci-fi short films and I saw Slice of Life is on an exclusive on WeV TV. So I was like, oh my gosh, like they're totally coming up. It had 70,000 hits when I saw it. And what does it have now? I don't, I don't know, but it's got quite a few. Yeah. So it didn't even have 70. It has 68,000 and it has about the same. So it really has not been getting as much love as a short like this should be getting. I mean, 68,000, that's, that's, that's a lot. That's, that's a so lot of nice. hits. But like you look at other yeah. short films that like if I looked at it, you know, whatever, two weeks ago and it had 68,000, it would probably have at least 75,000 or 80,000 because, you know, they usually grow like that. But this one is like kind of stopped around 68, which is like sad because it's so good. The thing about this short is I watched it and at first I thought, oh, my gosh these guys are amazing CGI geniuses. Like they just did this most amazing CGI work or whatever. And then I went to their website and I learned that actually there is zero CGI in this movie at all. This is a hundred percent old school practical effect techniques from the eighties. They use matte paintings. They use miniatures. They did everything that they did in Blade Runner to, to make this movie. And so when you watch it and it actually looks just like Blade Runner, there's a very good reason why it looks just like Blade Runner is because they just did everything that Blade Runner did. So I'm going to stop gushing up the movie. Here is Luca Hergovic and Dino Julius, the two co-directors of the movie, to talk about the film. Why did you make a short versus any other medium? Why did you? Why did you? Because I don't know anything else. I don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> no, I mean, what, what could have we done instead of a film? I get, you, you could write short stories, for example, or... You could do a, like, a, maybe an animation or a painting. An animation, maybe, yeah. I don't know, but we, 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 we are... We wanted to be filmmakers for as long as we probably remember, so, yeah. Yeah, as kids, we've done a lot of short films, amateur short films. Exactly, yeah. It's kind of our language, so yeah. that's kind of the only logical way for us to tell a story, I guess. Yeah. Maybe when we're old, one day you'll do a painting, I'll write a book. You'll write a book and yeah. And then you maybe have a chit chat about it, you know. Yeah. I look at your painting, you read my book. <laughs> why, why this story, Dino? That's a very interesting question, Luca. Um, well, I guess uh, we're kind of uh, grown up uh, on the films from the 80s and from 90s. And uh, we love those kind of uh, atmospheres. Uh, we also grown up on crime stories, on science fiction pictures, and we kind of thought, oh, it would be kind of nice to combine it together. Uh, it, it may be like a crime story with uh, fun elements in a sci-fi sci surrounding. And plus, Blade Runner was kind of like our go-to film regarding an homage. We wanted to make an homage to Blade Runner, so kind of like film naturally together, I guess. Yeah. I mean, many... Uh, short films on the internet nowadays have these huge concepts, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know, yeah. saving the whole world and stuff like that. Yeah, we, did, we wanted to avoid that because... Yeah, make a know, small story. Make a small story of a small guy. Make it work. Small problems, yeah. Yeah. I mean, because it's, it's kind of like a trapping for filmmakers who try to kind of like break in the industry or try to, you know, say to the world, I'm here 
you're, you're maybe starting off with complicated stories which are hard to tell and you know get kind of like lost in that process yeah. so it's made especially kind of, if you don't have actors that yeah. are amazing i mean i i believe that Will Smith can save the world, for example, when I watch. Maybe not even him, but, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Right? Yeah, sure. And sure. if you have a friend who's acting and he's yeah. like the savior, and you know, it's just gonna be. You probably won't like the choice and simple, yeah. Yeah. So that that was our. That, that's why the story is simple. Uh, how did your team uh, come up uh, with the funds? The the movie has been in production for quite a few years. Officially, we always we always say it's four years, and in the beginning we just. We were funding it ourselves from our own pockets because we were just a couple of guys with a garage, with a pretty money for gas, and pizza. We just, yeah, we just bought paints and glue and made the sets, and that's how it started. After a few years, we filmed enough of material to make a decent trailer, and we decided let's try the Kickstarter because you know we've seen other projects that that succeeded in, yeah. in the same way. So yeah, we planned to do a Kickstarter campaign for $25,000. But got 82. Yeah, case. we got 82 because it was uh, very successful. It surprised us as well. So uh, from that point on, uh, we had some budget to, to spend on, on you know, better equipment and better tools for making miniatures. So yeah, first it was personal money, then uh, help of Kickstarter. Okay, uh, before making the short, what did you think would happen to your career because of it? And what ended up happening? Uh, so we started working on the short in uh, back in 2014. So back then we didn't think nothing. We just wanted like to 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 you know play play create shots, kind of like figure out the process, especially with miniatures how that works with lighting. We didn't even know how to light stuff. So uh, basically we did had no expectations. Obviously we set ourselves some very small goals. We watched shots from Blade Runner, other movies compared it. It was a learning curve, but um, the expectations came uh, later after Kickstarter because we got the money. Now we knew like we have to make the fans happy, and of course uh, we start to think about well, uh, uh, as we're working like for four years on this project and it's really looking nice, it would be kind of cool if it would be kind of like a show card for us for a feature and maybe. To you know, put us on the map and uh, get us maybe some funding for our next project. I guess so. The the, the goals kind of changed throughout yeah. the process, which is kind of normal. I guess it's just normal. Yeah. It would be pretty shitty if it like stayed like back in two thousand four. Oh, let's have a beer and watch some shots and have like fun. <laughs> and no, okay, we are still having fun. Obviously. And what ended up happening? I don't know. I mean, the movie was still to be determined. Still to be determined. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we had a pretty successful festival run. Yeah. That's what happened, for example. A lot, a lot of people told us, "Oh, you, you, if you get into really good festivals, you can end up meeting some producers." Yeah. That also didn't really happen to us. We oh, well, sure. We, we had some meetings back. Uh, we, we had some meetings here, yeah, in LA. Yeah. But it's all. Yeah. I mean, everybody's like, you have a. You have to have a feature script ready, right, then we yeah. can talk. I mean, it's a nice proof of concept, yeah. but you still have to have the feature script. And it, have to, it has to be really good. So that's actually what yeah. we are working on, the feature script right now. Yeah. With the hopes we'll make a feature one, feature length film. Yeah. Yeah. Faster than the short film. Faster than the short film, yeah. Now that it's out in the world, what purpose does it serve? It's, it's making people happy. 
don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I think some people, right? Because yeah. like when you read the comments, uh, yeah. some people are truly excited and they say, oh, it's kind of like filling a hole. Uh, which those new kind of blockbuster, blockbuster uh, sci-fi films created, they're all CGI mm -hmm. and this is all kind of practical, mm -hmm. uh, very homogenic. Uh, yeah. uh, so it, it looks kind of natural, it has this kind of old quality yeah. which Star Wars had and yeah, like... Yeah, there's a nostalgia yeah. this connected of yeah. effects, yeah, so... And people, yeah, people them, they like them, yeah. yeah, they dig it. I, I mean, it wasn't seen by many people at this moment, maybe like we're close to 70,000, but uh, I guess like every time somebody discovers it, he says, oh, it's a really nice film, I, li I like the story and it's really looking really nice, so mm -hmm. I guess it makes them. How long uh, did it take you to learn all the different sign, um, used for it. Um, techniques used for film? It, it, it took us years, basically, because there's not that many literature on it, you can watch some documentaries, uh, and read some books, but it's not like it, it's never. It never is a how to do it video, yeah. right? It, you have to read between the lines. You have to pause the uh, the frame and look like where did they put the lights. You have to really. You there's know, never. It. There's never a straight explanation. Yeah, of the process. never. You have to figure it out by yourself. Yeah. So yeah, we, we watched. There's there's some cool uh, documentaries on YouTube. I think it's called uh, Movie Effects or something like that. They have like a episode on every part of. Uh, visual effects, so from pyrotechnics, miniatures, matte paintings, that, that was also nice to watch. But at some point you just gotta try to do it yourself. So our first tests were like, okay, we, in theory we know how this works, let's try it. And the first tests were kind of crappy, they didn't look that well. Not for us at the time they were pretty good. <laughs> no, yeah, but it, like, okay. it, it, it looked like, okay, okay, but this could work. Yeah, so yeah. next time you fix something else, it looks a little bit better and, you know, bit by bit, you know, but it, it did take us um, a lot of time until we got to the shot that we are really satisfied with. It's because we had to learn how to where to put the lights, how to light the miniatures, but also how to build the miniatures. Because you can't just put in the first test we had like a vacuum cleaner and a printer, and we tried to do a you know cityscape with these stand-ins, but obviously it's going to look much better when you finish the proper building. So it was all you know, it it took a lot of time, but yeah. yeah. And the, the basic take, takeaway from that, that we can say to anybody who's asking the question how to do it, is you just gotta try it yourself. That's yeah. at least that's what I think. Yeah. Until you try to film something and really you know, see the mistakes you made, you're never gonna learn anything. Yeah, so reading is fine, researching is fine, but at some point you gotta make your hands dirty. Thank you for yeah. helping us. Yeah, thank you for tuning in. Bye. Oh my gosh, Liz, as you, if you couldn't tell from my intro, I was a big fan of this movie. I was not even sure they would want to be on the show because I thought like, oh my gosh, these guys are probably getting bigger press opportunities because it's such a endeavor to make this movie. I mean, they raised $80,000 on Kickstarter to make it uh, with a, with an ask of 25. So they almost, they, oh, they got triple what they asked for, which is pretty amazing. So the thing that I really liked about it, I thought the visuals were amazing, obviously, and Beyond that, like amazing visuals, sure, that's one thing that's great, but like their visual storytelling is excellent in this movie. And there's no dialogue throughout the 25 minutes, and they just do such a good job of communicating the story without needless words. And I just thought that was brilliant. 
the world building is next level. They do such a good job of setting up what this world is without having to say anything in dialogue. Like it's all just diegetic, you know, as far as like billboards and news radio and and whatever and like words that you're seeing on his like little police scanner thing that he's he's using. It's like really really brilliant stuff. And then the last thing I wanted to say is this is like the perfect example of showcasing to a studio like what that you are ready to make a big budget studio film because they took like a short at 25 minutes told a, a encapsulated story that you know feels like it's got a beginning middle and end and they did it all at a level that you know you could see that on a billboard you know the poster you could see it in a movie theater like it is the high high level stuff so i think if, if that's what you want to do if you want to try to like make your first feature for you know not you know a couple hundred thousand but for like five to ten to twenty million like this is the kind of level that you need to like present in a short film to like get a studio to trust you so i was really really impressed with that but Liz, what did, you, what did you think? I was watching it looking for tells, if that makes sense. Like when I watch these shorts, I'm always like, okay, what is what are the like normal tells when something is lower budget or or just like lower quality? And like for me, it's like those I don't even know what you would call it, but like the billboards. I don't you wouldn't call that VO, but you'd call that like yeah, I, I don't it, even know. It's it's, Maybe it's, it's more VO, like VO um, the billboard, uh, right? It's not off screen. It's like background dialogue or something I guess I don't know yeah I always they always like okay so this is a little bit of an aside but when you watch like a really like um absurdly broad sitcom the mom character is always like a New York Jew with a very nasal screechy voice like there's like there's these like cliches and archetypes of audio storytelling and what I was really impressed by this film is that like every billboard sounded like a billboard it sounded like an advertisement it sounded like the voice of a professional like there weren't really tells about this being a lower at any point it being like not millions of dollars is what I'm saying yes $80,000 this is an insane amount of money but for what they did I'm sure a lot of it went to the materials and the effects so they probably didn't have a lot of resources for every aspect that they wanted this is me just presuming like to speak to that like you could tell that they hired like a professional voiceover artists to do all that work like the same type of people that would actually get paid to like do a wells fargo ad on the radio or something right yes it was like very high quality storytelling and then it's like yes for an actor who like never got to say a word (laughs) everything had to be on his face like the pain the need to escape the like oppression yeah it was there and he also reminded me a little bit of dave Dave (laughs) bautista but other than that like You had to like you had to hang a lot on his shoulders. I didn't know that at first that it was an homage, like purposefully an homage. So I, I was watching it being like, wow, this is total recall. <laughs> meets Blade Runner, meets, you know? And then I started to see, well, of yes, this are they're in love with these movies and they really want to tribute to them. So I saw the love. I saw that it was painstakingly created with that kind of like eye for perfection. Yes. Well, it's a long duration, which may be the reason for that. Those yeah, numbers not growing as be. high as they would like to. But if you have 25 minutes, like definitely, worth checking out definitely. for sure. I love the way that they, they have their character eating food out of the trash because he's so poor and he's trying to scrap enough money to get onto this this like you know ship to leave the planet yeah exactly and like he's like just saving every money and he won't even buy food for himself and then you've got the other cop who's like 
eating like that, you know, disgusting looking ribs and like sucking his fingers. It's like, oh my God, like all the close ups. It was so brilliant. And I mean, you know, they created, a, a, you know, all these food brands. They created a, like a cigarette brand, which is Slice of Life, the name of the movie. They created all this stuff. It's just, it was really well done. And, and I mean, yeah, hats off to those guys. I was just thinking about like, I don't know what your like films, we've never talked about film school, Eric, and like what your background is and, 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 you know, all those things. But at USC, we had to do nonverbal storytelling for a semester. And I think it's a fantastic exercise for a director. And it like, the, uh, like you were saying, if you can communicate an entire epic without dialogue you could prove to a lot of people that you're a great director yeah we uh we 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 did a like a continuity storytelling a a class or project um you know in in my school but you you didn't have to have it be no dialogue you could have it be no dialogue mine was with dialogue because i was obsessed with dialogue back then but i have made a short that has no dialogue so you know i kind of um i've I've done that and i i think it is really important i think you know just in film my filmmaking going forward i'm basically going to try to do that as much as possible in my storytelling like really don't have any words be being said unless they have to be said because it's just way way better you know if you can do it through visuals you know or else make it a radio play right so yeah let's get to our conversation with hannah and megan Awesome. So we're here with Hannah and Megan from, uh, it's just drought, right? It's not the drought. Just drought. 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 Yeah. I love it. (laughs) So first question is, how many days did you shoot drought? 18 days. Yes. What was your budget? Very, 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 very little. You know, we had someone answer (laughs) with that answer before and their budget was 10 million. So. Oh, (laughs) it is not 10 million. However, (laughs) it is. In the lowest budget scale of SAG features. Okay. We we can't say yet because we're hoping someone will sure, of course. take it. Yeah. Buy it. You yeah. just say it's under a million. How about that? Is that fair? It's very much under a million. <laughs> All right. Perfect. I love, I love, that's my favorite way to answer that question. How long have, did you work on the film from inception to it uh, being released? We Started creating it in 2015 and had the first draft done then. And production was in 2018 and we finished post last year. And now we have a finished movie. About how big was your crew? So it was 14 crew members, including us. And then 16, uh, including the main cast. And then out of all your projects, how difficult was this one? (laughs) It was really, really hard. (laughs) (laughs) But awesome, but really hard. <laughs> the most difficult. Yeah. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Like what, what made it hard? Like just give us a little bit on the difficulty level. Well, first, it's our first feature that we've ever done. Um, first time that we were two of the lead actors, directors, producers, creators. We were wearing so many hats. So that in itself was just really, really difficult. And then along with that, we we ran into pretty much any main tragic life event that could happen, happened to us while filming this movie. So for our next film, we got it. We can, we've been through pretty much the ringer. So, um, yeah. Wow. I guess we can just get deep right off the start. Why not? Be real and authentic. 
on day six of production, I got the phone call everyone like dreads that my mother had uh, passed away unexpectedly. Oh, and no. so here we are in this crunch time of shooting and, and, and also living our dream. And then this very tragic thing happened, but our crew is amazing and Hannah's amazing. And, and, you know, we handled that and, and kept the ball rolling. But then um, a few days later, Hurricane Florence was set to hit because we're in Wilmington, North Carolina, and it was a Category 4 set to hit our town. And it did. It did hit. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. Very much yeah. so. It wow. kind of hit and just hung out for a while. Um, and so we paused production um, with five days left of shooting. Mm-hmm. For two months. So- oh, Wow. Yeah, there was that. And then another one of our crew members, a family member of hers, passed away during production. I was very, very sick. I actually had to have surgery afterwards. Oh, God. Uh, I know. Y'all, it's like, y'all, y'all, it's, and then to top it all off, the movie is called Drought, and we were (laughs) filming in, um, Wilmington was named the wettest city in America that year. Oh, my God. (laughs) Everything was very lush, very green. Thank God for color correction. Um, yeah, so that's just, there's that. Yeah. But wow. we still had so much fun. We like, did. that sounds like such a downer. <laughs> it, like, <laughs> it was still amazing. It was. We had the most incredible team, cast and crew, um, and just even like the people that who we used their locations. It just was a really, everyone who touched this project had so much heart for it it just pours out in the movie you can like feel it um so we're we had the best time along with having some of the worst things happen it really is awesome because it makes the things that i think would have usually been difficult like that it was 104 degrees and that (laughs) we were driving an ice cream truck that hardly worked like well kind of like did not work it didn't Little things that I think would seem to be big problems typically kind of didn't really create an issue for us because we had some other things to tackle. So it was interesting. Well, let's take a step back and talk a little bit about the Hometown Heroes uh, competition. I think you probably chatted with Ulrich and Tim about this way back when, when you were on the podcast, I'm guessing. Did you guys address it? Probably. I can't remember. I didn't re-listen to the episodes. (laughs) I should have. (laughs) Same. Same. We're like, I think. I think we called in and asked some questions, and I think we mentioned it, but we're yeah. the same way. It's been a while. We didn't fo- we didn't focus on it. I don't think very much though. But y'all were right, and not, your your y'alls are infectious. So look at me. I'm like the Jew from Northern California. Um, but uh, so y'all, um, when you you were finalists in the competition and you received um, a lot of support from the Duplass and Seedness Park, can you talk us through um, what it what how it impacted the production? Sure. Yes. Hannah, you want to take that one? Yeah. I mean, so when we won the competition, that in itself was just such a a boost for our confidence 
if we can just be transparent, Megan and I, did, we did not go to film school. We had no clue what we were doing. And so the fact that Mark and Jay believed in us and believed in this project enough to come on as executive producers and um, give us a no interest loan really gave us the confidence to do this thing, like having someone else believe in us. And then also just crewing up and, and making the movie, having their name on it, it provided a lot of trust from our crew and our cast because they're they're wonderful filmmakers and actors and, and just humans. Um, it's pretty well known, I guess, through Hollywood world that they're fantastic. And so with their name attached, that in itself also brought in a trust from other people as well. Yeah. And our first really interaction with them was we sent the script, their team read it. And I think it was really the most helpful thing from them amongst all the things that has happened is we had a conversation with Mark about how to make the script really scalable and what was really the heart of the story. And so when he helped us just refine that, it, I think, just changed everything and, and also giving us the confidence to direct it and to be in it, <laughs> do all the things. <laughs> How big was the change that his script notes uh, made in, in the project? Was it like, did you change a bunch of scenes, like the whole ending? Like, was, was it massive or was it kind of like minor tweaks? It was, it was a little bit of both. Um, there were basically some of the notes were like hey let's axe these characters and some of them were like yeah and then others we we really asked why and most of it was just you know the relationship between some characters distracted from the heart of the story so changing things like that but it was kind of with their notes an essential rewrite a new ending that really took place in the middle of the script originally it was the best it was the best it was we were so in it at that point with, I think we were like three years into into the creation of it and Hannah into writing seven drafts or seven rewrites at that point. And so when he said, what if you just ended it here? We were like, oh my gosh, why did we never think of that? It was really critical and just having someone outside of the project to give that kind of note was helpful. Oh, that's awesome. So, you know, after that, what happened next with their involvement? Like, was it after the script notes? Did they kind of help in any other way? Like, did they make introductions to you guys before you shot? Did they come on set at all? Like, what was the experience like working with them from that stage? Yeah, we, the really, really cool thing, and we work primarily with Mark um, and Mark's uh, team. He really believed in us so much and gave us just kind of like, all right, so you guys have the script ready to roll if you feel that way. So now go ahead and make your movie and really just let us do whatever we wanted to do. He was always in his team. They're always available for a phone call or an email, if anything, if we had questions. But really, he instilled in us like, you have what it takes. You can do it. Now do it. And so that's what we did. Yeah, I think uh, the funniest, one of the funniest stories is, um, <laughs> I, I think you know what I'm going to say, I Hannah, is we were trying to make the call on if we had to stop production because the hurricane was coming. And we just really wanted to get their advice. And so we sent a like SOS email, hey, can we hop on a phone call just to 
for help on making this call and what it could potentially mean. We hit send and then someone was on Instagram had seen that they had just won the Emmy for Wild Wild Country. Like five <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> so we we're like, never mind, we're at the Emmys. So um, we're just going to stop production. <laughs> bad timing, bad timing. Um, but yeah, like Hannah said, they especially, you know, with working with Mark, has always been there with advice for how to handle crew, pay scale, to questions on what festivals, you know, to go with or submit to. They've really been great. How does that loan work with them? I understand it's no interest, but I mean, what are the stipulations and did that total change? Like, did it expand? I wish it did, Liz. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just a no-interest loan, and basically, if the film ends up being profitable, they'll receive their money back, and that's oh, it. Oh, those are the only terms? Wow. Like, they don't, you don't owe money to them unless it, unless the film profits. Right. That's wow. really so, interesting. So they're, they're basically just like an investor then, so it's it's less of a loan and more of an investment? Yes. So that's the coolest part, and, and what Mark's always been about is once they receive that money back from us, because our movie is going to make money, they will take that. They will take that money and give it back to filmmakers. Oh, that's wonderful. So I think it's just a constant cycle of yeah, giving to back to independent filmmakers. So I think that's really cool, and the, and almost inspires us even more. I mean, we want to pay them back, of course, but I want more people that want to make their movies to be able to have that kind of finance to do so. I have a couple questions. Like, first off, is this the first time you guys collaborated together as directors and actors working on a project? Or did you guys do a short together before this? Like, what was your background before you made this movie? Before Drought, we had we had been actors in some short films and then together. And then we did one short film where uh, Megan wrote it, I directed it, and then she was an actor in it. I make a brief cameo. Uh, and then um, then when we were ready to make Drought, pre-Seed and Spark um, Hometown Heroes Rally, we didn't know how to raise the funds, so we actually took out one of our, their only scene that stayed throughout the whole writing process and shot it. And we were the directors for that and also the actors in it. So really, and it's called Watch and Learn. It's just pretty much what we were going to present to people to hopefully invest in the film. But that was our first experience where we were both co-directing and wrote it together and acted in it together. And then it was drought after that. Hannah's forgetting one that doesn't, that oh, isn't yeah. to be named. So there we also directed one. <laughs> There's one more under our belt that we co-directed that it's good. It's, it's out there. It's it's out there. But you guys aren't you guys aren't proud of it, or you are proud of it. We're not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it was one of those things where I think the heart of what we were creating wasn't wasn't fully there. Like we wanted to just make something, and I don't know. Looking back, it it just it wasn't very good. Um, <laughs> but. <laughs> But we did learn a lot from it, and we continue to call it the one that shall not be named. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's important to have those, I think. Was the plan always to be these this triple threat idea? I mean, is or were you writing to direct? Were you writing to act? Has there ever been one priority role for either of you? 
The inspiration really was to act first because we were we were actors first. We were in a Meisner class together, um, and that is where, of course, we heard Mark Duplass's South by Southwest talk about making films with your friends, and we did that through our Meisner class. It was such a tight-knit group of six people, and we had so much fun on those films. And then as Southeast actors, we are auditioning for a lot of roles that are very small, which we are still so super grateful for, but are typically, I don't know, for Hannah, it's like blonde number two or ditzy waitress. And for me, it's just nurse, nurse, <laughs> nurse. <laughs> Apparently I'm a nurse, <laughs> which is ironic because my husband, who's 6'2", huge dude, is the actual nurse of our house. And we wanted to create roles, we're just going to be honest, uh, for ourselves, selfishly, to be able to have characters that we could dive into a little bit more, um, have a little bit more dialogue on screen, that kind of thing. But it definitely took a turn to much more than that when we started to get behind the camera. And I still, personally for me, this Megan, love, love, love acting, but I've really found a passion for for directing too. I really love it. So that was really neat to to find that. It was not in the master plan. <laughs> and I found through this process, acting is still definitely my first love, but writing is something that I just have absolutely fallen in love with. And, and directing, I love it too, as long as I'm with Megan. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know. I, I just, I love, and I, I've fallen in love with the, I fell in love with the collaboration of working with, or working with Megan just before, but now collaborating with her as both of us as directors and not just actors, not just creators of this story is so special. So it wasn't in the plan, but now it's like, We've been on sets just as actors now since, and it is fun, but it's like not as fun when you get to work with your best friend and do all the things together. What, uh, like, how do you guys direct together? Like, what is your, like, style? Like, how did you figure out how to collaborate and what does that look like? Sure. It just came really naturally, I think, was is what's really interesting. Hannah and I, often people say like, oh, you guys are the same brain or you think the same. Even our company is called Same Page Pictures because we're always on the same page. I think the reason that we do work so well together is because we fill in for each other. Um, Hannah definitely can dream the big picture and then I'm the more, I love boundaries and I can sometimes go to the negative side of things or the more practical side. And so having someone that can dream and someone who can be really practical working together, I think that's how we best, how we work. Um, Cause she pushes me to think outside the box. And then sometimes I'll um, cause us to have to make decisions that maybe aren't as grand in scale, but uh, best for the project. But make it better make it so much better for the actual directing for both of the things that we've co-directed together we've also been in so we will whoever is on screen at that time uh, the person on screen will concentrate on acting and the person who's not on screen at the time will take over in the director chair and then if we're both in this scene together we will 
put a lot of trust into, and even when we're not, we will put a lot of trust into our first AD and into our cinematographer and our set deck slash editor slash therapist. Therapist. (laughs) (laughs) So a a team effort um, when we're both on screen together. Which is such a gift. I just want to add real quick because... I really do believe because it naturally just happened that way, our whole team was so much more invested in the project because everybody's opinion mattered. It never felt like too many cooks in the kitchen because everyone, of course, was always on the same page. But it was this really interesting thing that happened when both of us are in the scene to get feedback from our crew. And I mean... Gosh, it was just such a blessing. I think it's such a cool thing when that happens. Would you spend a lot of time watching playback when you're both in scenes together? Or do you literally just trust your AD and your crew to tell you, oh, no, it's good. You guys look great. No time for playback. We did very little watch of playback. We trusted. We would check the frame and check the uh, check camera before we started the scenes. That way we knew what it looked like. And... Uh, being actors first, too, I think we would just know when it was working, even in the scene. And sometimes, especially me, I would try to direct as the actor. And I have found that mistake and don't do that. Sometimes I would forget to take off the director hat when I was in the scene. And in the edit, realized I ruined a few takes <laughs> that we could have used. Can, can, <laughs> really, can you can, really hard. Can you talk about what that means exactly? Like, are you, do you just like start directing while you're acting? Or is it more like you give direction after the scene for the next take that kind of takes it in the wrong direction? I would just stop the scene mid scene. Oh. <laughs> <It's> terrible. <laughs> you shouldn't even do that. Like, even if I was a director not in the scene. But I was more trying to direct myself, I think. And so that would be the moments when I would get in my head about things, which is really unfortunate, but definitely a lesson learned. It didn't happen too many times, but yeah, if you're an actor, just be an actor and trust your team will tell you if something's not going well. You felt like um, you weren't doing well, so you just said, let us do it again. Like, sorry, I want to make sure I understand completely. You would end the scene by saying, like, I want, I can't go any further. I have to stop. Or sometimes I would like be in the middle of dialogue and say, I'm just going to take that back real quick and um, let's like maybe uh, say that line to me a little harsher or something. Well, you were saying what you needed. Yeah. But then when we watched playback, I was like, I didn't really need that. (laughs) 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 Like the way it was delivered was actually fine. <laughs> yeah, I think that's something that all directors can relate to, you know, and, and I'm definitely guilty of the same thing. I was watching playback on my movie and like there was a couple times where I stopped my actors in the middle of the scene because I didn't think it was going well. And like, it's like, oh, that was great. Why did it, what was I thinking? You know, right, and right. I think sometimes you just, you see something that maybe you don't feel is right or whatever and, you, and you're and you so stressed for time that you don't want to waste time yes. on a take that's not yes. usable. So you feel like you're saving time by doing that but then sometimes you're just like oh that was totally a mistake like I should have kept going oh that's it Ulrich it's the like because a lot of our scenes were very long six or seven minute long scenes oh wow so yeah stop it was oh no we're only two minutes in let's just take it back um, yeah, you're right. So really quick, I, w- I wanted to hear about, did you ever come to like a disagreement on set as directors? And if you did, like, how do you resolve those disagreements as, as a team? It, I'm, 
it, this is going to sound like such a lame answer, uh, but no. Megan and I, <laughs> I, and it's so weird, and I really do think it's because we were in Meisner together, so we are so in tune with the other person's emotions and how the other person ticks and are so just intentional about how the other person is feeling. Like, I know how Megan's going to respond to, for example, if the grip truck is stuck in the sand. That doesn't bother me. I'm like, you know what? They're going to do the thing. But I know because Megan takes on responsibilities like that, that is going to stress her out. And vice versa for me, if things are, there's lots of feelings going on, Megan knows that that's going to send me haywire you know so we never really got in disagreements because we are always looking out for the other person and as far as decisions made we are really just on the same page for everything if there was something like for example when the hurricane was coming I think we were in such a headspace of like go 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 finally I was talking to the first AD Christy Ray and I was like we phys- we cannot do this this is when mother nature has taken over and we we like can't go on and so I was like I'm I think we need to go tell Megan because I think Megan's just trying (laughs) and I went and I was like I was like Megs it's time to pause and I know this isn't what we want to do and she's like you're right and so yeah long story short never really a disagreement sorry (laughs) that's funny because I I don't know if what Liz thinks but from the directors that we've talked to the co-directors that that's pretty common like I, most people say they don't have a uh, disagreements you know either because they're in tune or because they put so much time into prep that they don't they don't have that doesn't happen you know yeah yeah well, I asked like our last co-directors this question and I think I f- I formulated it poorly so I'm going to try again with this interview <laughs> and it's is there a scene or a moment that each of you really wanted to take ownership over that you had to step back because the other had a different vision or a different thought. Like, how do you deal with the conflict of those things that each of you are incredibly passionate about and like taking steps back or forward between you two? It's really interesting. We have this like clause in our LLC or whatever that says if we can't come to an agreement on something, we'll draw the option out of a hat. Oh, I love right? That. Literally. I love that. Literally. <laughs> and that is terrifying. I'm a big survivor fan. And so, you know, there's the option that they go into. Yes, I am. I still am. They go into the option of like if they can't come to a consensus, they have to draw rocks. And it's kind of that same principle where that's really terrifying. So I'd rather um, come to a conclusion together than to leave it up to fate. And so typically that really helps us talk to each other about why we're each feeling the way we're feeling. And when possible, so maybe not on set, but in pre-production and in post, we'll give it a night and we'll sleep on it and then come back together. And every time so far in our collaboration, one person has been able to say, you know what, I see your point and I agree. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So no hat drawing yet. Basically. Not yet. <laughs> no. We, I think we're like basically like we refuse to draw out of the hat. So we'll just figure it out. And we always do. All right. So back in 2018, November, when we had you on the show, I think it was like the day after you stopped, stopped filming or like two days after. It was like super like you had just finished shooting the movie. So I want to kind of hear about like that was a year and a half ago, basically. 
like what has happened since then with your post process? Like talk us through, you know, like how long it took you to get to a final cut and, you know, all those things you had to go through since. Well, we wrapped in, uh, you're right, right towards the end of November. So we gave everyone a break because it was pretty crazy. And like some of our houses were messed up from the hurricane and the holidays were coming and stuff. So we reconvened with our editor, who's amazing, Parrish Steichleather, who is a writer-director first. And he, we came back together, him, Hannah and I, to edit the film in January. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He edited it, but sweet Parrish, we sat in the room the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Parrish is a dear friend of ours, too, for, like, a very long time. Like, we went to high school together, so he was a good sport. We had, like, points, tally points, whenever we were self-deprecating, because we were all the time watching yourself in a scene and also, like, how you directed it and stuff. So we made it fun, for sure. But we finished the first rough cut within a month. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, basically, from... Uh, February until May, we were doing just um, tightening it up. We sent it to like a, a, a small group of people to get notes. We did a one like rough cut screening to get feedback. We were also sending it to our team at Duplass to get notes. Um, and they were all, it was really great working with them in all aspects. But I think one thing we forgot to mention is all of their notes, they really couch as suggestions. They're like, just from our experience, this is what you might want to consider. But um, really, it's up to you what you want to do. And that was really cool and freeing. Um, and also let us be able to explore why they were making the suggestions. And then I think we were, we had our picture lock at the end of May. And then we went on to color correction and sound. And score. And score. And you did another crowdfunding campaign, right, for Pose? We did. Um, <laughs> we did. We, we really realized, and especially with the hurricane, it did set us back financially quite a bit. And then, because we did have contingency funds set into our budget for our original our original budget, but we didn't expect a hurricane, especially one that, I mean, it really wrecked our city and surrounding cities. So um, we raised funds to, to help finish up with post and primarily with, with sound, especially. We didn't know, we, we had a ballpark of how much money it would take to do all these things, but we had never done it before. So, and we found that a movie is so elevated when the sound design is good. And we just, we felt like this movie deserved it, especially in our team deserved it. So we crowdfunded again and it was so much easier the second go round. Well, th- did you ask for less money the second time? Oh yes. Yes. We definitely asked for less. And, um, cause it was just, it was just basically what, what we needed that was taken away from pausing on production and and all that stuff from the hurricane. And to elevate the sound. Mm-hmm. In the first crowdfunding campaign, we were asking for 24000 And in the second, we asked for seven. But what was so wonderful about the second campaign and what's kind of cool about Seed and Spark is we just relaunched on the same page. So our audience that is already like connected to that specific page was still 
there. And the audience for the film was more there as opposed to the first go around where we were still working on building an audience. Oh, that's awesome. And so, uh, you know, when did the actual movie get finished? When was like the final cut of the movie done? It was in... Oh, I know the day. Yeah. Because we had to. Y'all are going to laugh. (laughs) Y'all. Because we were trying to submit uh, the best uh, like product we could to Sundance South by. We'll just be transparent. And we had to do that by like September, I don't know, 9th or 16th. And a hurricane was coming. Oh, no. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Hurricane Dorian. And so we packed up all our hard drives. We finished color at like four in the morning the night before with our DP, who also did the coloring, along with um, someone else in his office. And we, after that, we packed up our hard drives. We went inland towards Charlotte. And we finished it there and sent it off. Yeah. It was very (laughs) fitting. So... Yeah. <laughs> Where did you end up premiering festival-wise? Yeah, so we ended up premiering at Vail Film Festival in May, virtually, due to the pandemic. We were <laughs> actually, yeah, uh, we were going to have almost like a world premiere weekend originally. We got into three festivals that were all happening on the same weekend. So it was going to be kind of like this mini release. It was going to be so fun. Um, but and it was, was going to premiere in North Carolina, which was the whole point behind Hometown Heroes is to really elevate voices, you know, from different places in the country. And so we were so pumped to world premiere it in our home state. And, you know, needless to say what happened. But two weeks before the premiere, weekend extravaganza, everything got put on hold. Yeah, for the pandemic. What were the three festivals you were going to premiere at? It was going to be Vail, River Run, International Film Festival was where we are going to world premiere. Sorry, River Run, Indie Grits, and then Vail Film Festival all in the same weekend. Just due to the pandemic and everything. Because it was all in March, which is when it just like exploded pretty much. So River Run and Indie Grits ended up uh, doing you know, things a little differently. But Vail moved theirs and um, made it an online uh, or a virtual film festival, and they were incredible. The way that they did it was phenomenal, and they really let the filmmakers choose, like, we wanted to do a specific time block with a little, you know, four-hour window, and they honored that. It was just a really great experience, as good of an experience as it can be virtually. Wow. And do you know how many people watched uh, the film when it was on? Uh available virtually yeah it was 548 wow that's pretty great yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, we were pumped in that we also they were so great about audience data which is stuff you don't always get especially if you go in person and it was from all over the country which was really cool so we had a big turnout from north carolina but also from like pennsylvania and colorado so that was really neat. Um, and then we ended up winning the audience award. Yay. Wow. Congratulations. Thank so you. So we were so pumped. Yeah. Wait, what audience data did they share? Sorry, I didn't mean to curb the enthusiasm of no. the celebration. It's, it's very fascinating, right? Data, it's data, very... data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they told us the number of tickets. They told us where it was. That's pretty That's it so far. It. Yeah. yeah. But it is fascinating to think like, yeah, we sold like 500 and some tickets, but 
it's probably double or triple that many people that watched it because most people are watching it with their partner or their kid or a friend. So we were blown away for sure. Wow. So uh, now that you've premiered at this festival and you know, you won this audience award, like what is your strategy now? Like, are you thinking about more film festivals? Or are you more trying to plan how you're going to release the film, um, you know, through distribution? All of the above. Yeah. <laughs> it changes Weekly. day to day. Yeah, day to day. Because the climate of what is happening with films and distribution and buying and festivals are changing every week. We get a new email from a different festival that's telling us how they're changing and they're all unique and different. So we're trying just to take it step by step. We had thought about going forward with some kind of release, but then festivals are now back in the picture with moving forward. So as of today, we are going to keep doing the festival circuit for a little bit longer and then see what happens. After that. But what about like Duplass? I mean, could they go and I mean, they have that output deal with Netflix. I mean, like, could they go and rep you or is that something that's so outside of their relationship at this point? They're not required to do that at all. Um, and Mark is definitely helping us like behind the scenes, trying to figure out really where the best home is for drought. We found that this movie is actually a wider audience than we expected. There's kids that are eight years old that are watching this movie and really loving it. It is kind of like a, a sandlot or a, something that kind of the whole family can watch, which is really exciting for us because our whole heart behind this is to raise autism acceptance and awareness and how wonderful to introduce, you know, a, a person in a family that might be different from their own at a younger age. So we really are trying to be intentional with where this home, where Drought's home is. And Mark is helping. Yeah, he's helping behind the scenes. I think his connections to representatives could potentially represent it if it's a good fit. What's also interesting, though, is it's unlike any film they've ever done as a company. It's definitely not like a creep. <laughs> or, yeah. or, or a room 104. Or, or a transparent. Or, or you a know, Blue Jay. It's, it's so different. It's the probably the most, obviously, it's the most family-friendly film. And so I think even just the unique challenge of finding its place among young adult viewers too is is interesting well so what is mark's advice as far as film festivals like is he encouraging you guys to keep on doing the film festival thing now or you know is he more in the the uh, mindset of like let's get this movie find, find it at home like or have you even asked him that question like what i mean i would love to know what he thinks about all this yeah it's a, I think, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Ham. Sorry, Megs. <laughs> it's a, we didn't raise our hands for this one. Um, it uh, It's a little bit of both, honestly. He is so, we actually had a phone call with him maybe a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago. And he was just like, guys, let's like find a home for this movie. But also, he wants us to be able to have our film go to these different festivals. But just like Megan said earlier, each festival, because some of them are going online, and they all have different parameters of how they're going to do it. It's just really tricky or tricky figuring out which ones to say yes to and which ones maybe aren't best for our film as far as like distribution goes um, down the road. Everything is 
because all these festivals are working so hard to help every movie, but each movie is unique in the needs that it has for how it needs to be viewed. And so it's kind of just a mess, you know? Everyone's just trying to figure it out. So he's he's doing both. The answer is both. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I was listening to you guys' podcast, and Liz, your advice about, like, what filmmakers should do, even if it was everything was, you know, like it was last year. The empowerment to ask questions to festivals because we are bringing something valuable. We are – we've never waited – to be picked, even if we weren't picked for Hometown Heroes, we were gonna, you know, make the movie happen. And waiting on film festivals to pick us has been the trickiest part. And so sometimes I think when you're picked, then you're like, okay, you picked me, I'll do whatever you need. But I really loved how you were talking to filmmakers about you're also bringing something to the table. And just now the questions are a little reframed for us at least, with we really would like geo-blocking if possible, and we would like time windowing, and we would love to talk about revenue sharing if possible. Um, not as hard lines, but just open conversation about how we could work together. Because we are going to be able to bring a bigger audience to a festival since it is, if it does go online. Um, our network here in North Carolina can attend a festival in Colorado that they never would have flown to. <laughs> so um, it's been a really interesting, and, and some festivals, you know, for their reasons that they have, whether it's smaller staffing or their particular audience, have to make the call that maybe we can't screen there, even though we were initially selected. So that's tough. It's tough, but we're working our way through it. <laughs> Speaking of geography and hometown heroes, I'm trying, I'm like, I have this like one last big question. I'm trying to figure out a way to like formulate it. Um, so I'm drawing in everything that we've talked about. So my question is, you know, this is a competition that celebrates making films in your hometown or where you decided to settle and, you know, grow your roots. Do you feel like this competition has reinforced you staying in North Carolina or do you wish, do you want to move to LA or New York? Is, is there any tension there between geography and your career path? That's a really good question. I'll answer for myself, even though Megan and I are, you know, best friends and business partners, all the things, no matter where we end up, we'll always be able to work together because technology is amazing. But for, for me, particularly, whether we, because I was born and raised in Wilmington and my husband is a musician. So also we have another creative that we've got to help with his dreams as well. For now, we're in Wilmington, and we love Wilmington and would love to stay. But whether we stay or move, I think making movies in Wilmington in North Carolina will always be, for me, what I would like to do. The community here is incredible. The talent and the caliber of skill set is out of this world, and people don't realize it because it's little North Carolina. But it, I mean, our team the just the locations it's just a wonderful place to make a movie and so I will always and forever want to make movies here and same for me I think I'm pretty rooted here and the thing that drought proved to me is that the talent in our hometown and then probably it goes for wherever you're listening from and there is talent there you just have to find that community and find that network because our entire cast and crew is from North Carolina and that is not without the search 
for casting crew outside of our state. The only thing we did outside of North Carolina was post-production sound or sound design, sorry. But um, I was just so encouraged to see a little movie from North Carolina, you know, getting into these festivals and getting supported by uh, folks like Duplass. I think it just shows that, uh, yeah, there's rich talent here. And I want to work with them. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There are challenges. I I won't deny that. There are challenges with not being in a big hub like L.A. or New York when it comes to um, just accessibility. But I don't feel so disadvantaged that I can't have a career because I live in North Carolina. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. For real. <laughs> well, amazing. All right. So I think we should get to our final five questions. Um, okay. I'll go first. What's the first film you ever made and how do you guys feel about it now? Well, I guess the first feature film we ever made was Drought. And I feel really proud of us and our team and what we created. <laughs> I think it's a sweet movie. What's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? Mine comes from Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> wow <laughs> no it's true Anna, because it plays into my personality you don't have to know everything to move forward with the role that you're given or the responsibilities that you have just being from someone who likes to have all the knowledge <laughs> before stepping into something I think sometimes you just have to take the step and do the thing I'm going to be honest, mine comes from Megan. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> but, it, it. but I think because Megan knows me so well, it, when she speaks to me with this, I really struggle with, you know, like feeling like I'm not enough. I don't know what I'm doing. And I think she just always reinforces, even if you don't feel like you know, Hannah, you know, like, you know, just trust your gut and trust that you know the right decisions. You're going to make the right decisions. So uh, do you have a goal or goals as filmmakers? My goal is keep making movies, especially about the South and uh, with female-driven narratives. I think continue, like Megan said, to make movies about the South, about underrepresented people, and really just make stories that matter. And also to continue to create a work environment that is fun and you create great memories making movies is hard but it can be really really fun yeah if you could go back in time what would you tell your younger selves what piece of advice would you give yourself I would tell myself oh man it's deep um because it's that's such a hard question to answer because if I did things differently I wouldn't be here like talking to you guys today but if someone else out there is young and wants to do movies I would say don't wait and go to college for forensic science and <laughs> just go to the School of the Arts and take an acting class. Don't try to run from the thing that you feel passionate about doing. That was good, Megan. I think I would go back and tell myself, um, you might feel small. And, and this is to anybody. You might feel small and feel like the things that you have to say don't matter, but they're going to matter to somebody. And so you should just do it, even if it feels really scary and you feel underqualified, do it. Yeah. And final question, is making movies hard? (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, it is so freaking hard, but it is so freaking worth it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I agree. Oh, yeah. How do we find you? How do we promote your film? Oh, wonderful. We're on all the socials, and it's Drow the Movie on everything, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Awesome. Uh, and then is there a special place that they should go to see the trailer? Is it all on your Instagram and your social stuff? It's all on our socials, and you can find the trailer on Vimeo and YouTube. And YouTube. I did upload it to you YouTube. You uploaded it to YouTube. <laughs> yes. Nice. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. We really appreciate you being on the show and sharing your story. It's really uplifting and uh, encouraging and inspirational. Um, I think people are going to love hearing this. Guys, thank you. All right, thank you for listening. Thanks to Hannah Black and Megan Peterson for being on the show to talk about drought. Check out our website, makingmoviesishard.com, where you can find links to things we talked about on this episode, including Slice of Life, that amazing short that we highlighted this week. If you want to get in contact with us, send an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. I promise you will, I will read it and Ulrich will respond. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at MMIH Podcast. I'm at Liz Manischel on Twitter and at Liz Manischel Film on Instagram. Ulrich, where in the world are you? Ulrich B on Twitter and Instagram. Facebook, just Ulrich Purcell. Find me there. If you like the show, tell a friend. Tell many friends. Tell, tell all of your friends. Um, help us get the word out. Leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, um, all the places where you listen to podcasts. Finally, thanks to our producers, Greg Holtzman and Joshua Sterling Bragg, editor Colby Crow, and the whole Bloodstream Media team for making this episode possible. And we will talk to y'all next week. Boom. Patreon pledge. Pledge. Wow, that's not a word. Uh, we put two and two together. <laughs> Shit. All right.